for the of you who didn't see it, I tripped walking up the steps earlier because I had my glasses on. <clears throat> the reading for today is in Genesis 4, verses 25 and 26. Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offering or offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the words of God. Blessed be the words of God. Roy's going to get a double portion of fat this afternoon for his uh, announcements and reading. Appreciate that. Um, we had a picture of uh, Jason Brame, who was last seen in a taxi cab in Columbia, headed to a spot unknown. I apparently, also with a translator in tow, we're really not sure. So that could be the last picture of Jason Brame ever. So think of him. Think of him tonight in your prayers as Roy will be enjoying his extra portion of fat. Um, so we're finishing up. Uh, we're finishing up this fourth chapter, um, fourth chapter of the uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor John Nicholas took us through a pretty good bit of it and and left behind these these two verses, which are very important. Um, in Genesis four, last week we we'd probably do well to go back really quickly just to remind ourselves uh, where we've been. Um, in chapter 3, we're picking up from creation in chapters 1 and 2. We see lots of aspects of creation across those, those two chapters. Um, and then we come to a picture of the, of the fall. We say the fall, what does that mean? It's the, the fall away from God, the fall away from a direct relationship with God and, and blessing. Um, where we had direct access to God, unfettered, no mediator. And we see that in the garden. It didn't last entirely long. Um, someone last week, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, which I don't see him in here, asked how long I thought it was from the, the garden scene, the Adam and Eve before the, before the fall. I suggested less than nine months less than nine months, because there were no children. And uh, these are two people who used to have no clothes. They just got a fresh pair, um, and no children were born. So I would, I would suggest less than nine months before the, before the fall. Before sin enters into the world, Death comes into the world through Adam. That becomes really important this morning, too. Um, the way that sin comes into the world, the way that death comes into the world, the way that we see things in Adam, it becomes very important in terms of these lines that we're talking about. And, and we'll see something very interesting in that regard. Um, but also important to know, in Genesis 3, we see the original sin in the garden. And the sin was direct. The sin was of man against God. It was doubting God's word, assuming against God's character, assuming God's motives were evil, were corrupted. 
And we see sin spreading. We see it up against man. We see it very quickly. We see that corrupted character of humanity when they step outside of God's provisional care, his protective care. It, it doesn't take long, right? We're, we're in Genesis chapter 4, and now we see sin not necessarily directly from man against God. Now we see sin man on man. We see this uh, lack of care for our brethren, for our fellow brother, is what we see in Genesis chapter 4 with the first murder, in fact. And it's unfortunately two, two brothers. There's not a lot of people in the world at this point, so it's definitely going to be a murder among immediate family. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. And so as sin spreads throughout the world, we see it getting negative very quickly in the book of Genesis. Genesis gives us a very helpful picture of what happens when our character and our nature is corrupted and against God. It doesn't take long before the culture and the society are directly impacted by that. And for us, now reading this in, in 2022, we see things differently because we're, we're post-cross. And so we come to this as believers who we feel like we're fairly advanced, actually, right? But I, I tend to think that perhaps these people were a lot smarter than we were. We are. Um, a, few, a few years of taking school in front of a computer and, and our kids can hardly function. These are people with direct DNA uh, straight from creation. I think their intellect was incredible. Um, Adam able to name all the creatures on the earth at a fairly quick clip, um, seemingly organized by kingdom and phylum. Um, divided by their types so that in the future when the law would come 2,500 years later, they could understand which types of animal were clean and unclean. They'd been divided and named. I think the intellect was sharp in these guys. And so we see in Genesis 4 now this need to approach God through sacrifice. Um, and we see a, a forgiving God. And, and that can be interesting to us because, as again, post-cross believers, we're somewhat separated from this process of sacrifice by which sin was forgiven. Um, the, the believers before Christ were way more connected to that, way more understanding of the, the correlation between the blood for the remission of sin and, and their own actions, their own thoughts, their own motives. And so what's very interesting is we know that once the plan of God is finished, this promised Messiah, we see it first in Genesis 3.15. We see it later in Isaiah 53.7-11, Isaiah 53.5, all over the scriptures. And so when we come to the end of Genesis chapter 4, we're going to see how the line of Christ and his fulfillment would come to us. And that's specifically the way this text is written, such that we can know how that line comes to us. Um, as we go along, I hope that you'll be encouraged that what you're seeing is that everything is set up and established in order to bring Jesus, the captain of our salvation. We see that in Hebrews chapter 2, 10 and 11, Hebrews chapter 8, 8 through 10. We see that everything is established and set up to bring Christ as the captain of our salvation because Jesus is God's absolutely perfect way. 
in his primary plan. There is no other. So before we jump in, um, I know Pastor John and I were talking last week and, and had some conversations with folks about Cain uh, and, and Cain's wife. Uh, where did where did Cain's wife come from? Um, and some conversation and speculations relating to that. Right? There's all kinds of interesting things, and some some people have interesting conversations about that. Some people have evil, frankly, conversations about that. So I wanted to talk a little bit before we get to verses 25 and 26 about Cain and, and his wife. Um, so a couple of principles for understanding that. First, we have to make sure that we're not reading from the mindset of 2022, many thousands of years beyond this event. We must also remember that as biblical Christians, we understand all humanity came from two people, two parents. And so the closer you get to those two, the odder it looks to us. Also, it is vital to know that we have to conclude from what is in Scripture and not what isn't in Scripture. And so we have to avoid taking giant leaps into theories that have no backing whatsoever, because that's the world of, of fantasy and invention and error. And so God has given us everything that we need in Scripture for reproof, for doctrine, for training and righteousness, for correction. And so that's where we should want to be is, is in the Scriptures. That's why that was one of, the, one of the tenets of the Reformation was Scripture alone is what we need to know God. Nothing more. No man, no church, no organization. We have the Word and the Holy Spirit. And so we study that squarely. So on those principles, let us note a few things. Number one, God created everything perfect and good. In fact, He created it and He looked at it and He said it's very good. God created everything perfect and very good, we see in Genesis 1 and 31. Um, in fact, I would submit a fresh genetic pool. No hereditary issues, right? When, when uh, Adam and Eve go to the doctor and they say, is there any history of diabetes in your family? They say, what? I have no family. There is no diabetes. We haven't created that yet. There's no world of having the sugars or wearing a monitor. There's none of these things have come about and come to be quite yet. Everything is perfect. No mother and father perish that can potentially bring problems yet. It takes time to develop these things. Just healthy folks of, I submit, strong intellect. So then later in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, we see that the world receives a curse through sin. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, but you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, 
and to dust you shall remain. And so the sin in Genesis 3, 6 causes this fracture. A whole fracture is created immediately. And it's not that God pronounced it. It's what happens when you step away from God's provision and his care is the fraction just the fracture just occurs. They immediately knew that they were naked. They immediately became ashamed. Immediately there were things in the world that they did not understand. Remember, everything's a first. I like to think sometimes when someone says something in a strange way, I wonder if it's the first time anyone in the universe has ever said that. How many firsts are left? Or with guitar, I'm amazed that you know five strings and however many frets are on a guitar, or is it six strings? I have no idea. Whatever. I'm sure there's a five-string guitar. Can make so many melodies and so many songs and so much music, but at the at some point it just it's the end of it, right? It just becomes endless power chords. It becomes one long Metallica song. And so this fracture enters into the world and it changes everything. In fact, we see in Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, they're separated away from the tree of life. There's, there's even a spatial difference. There's a complete difference in the way that they interact with God. Now imagine eternal life in a fallen state. That's terrible. The blessing is death. The blessing is the separation that makes us long for something. And so everything that was created good, in fact was created very good, is now impacted by the fall. It's the process of degrading. In fact, I have a truck. I would submit to you, it's a great truck. It's a nice little F-250, 160, 180,000 miles. Now, some people are grimacing as though it's not a nice truck. It is a nice truck. Now, the Commonwealth of the People's Republic of Pennsylvania, which is not a free land, has determined that this truck is no longer worthy of the road. And this is sad to me. People have submitted to me that this truck is now worth $300. This is sad to me. Because that's what happens in creation. Things do not improve over time. They degrade. They wind down. And if you're a day over 30, you know exactly what that means. Your knees have degraded. Your lower back has degraded. Your mind is not sharp. You know, someone asks you about the, your mental acuity and your sharpness of mind, and you say, Oh, it's sharp, but it's not. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Childbirth. Now, I have worked to explain to my wife for many years how hard it is for a man to have a cold. And I've submitted to her that to men, the common cold or the flu is, is pretty close to on par with childbirth. It's never been received very well. Childbirth and the groaning together and the pains of it is how the whole of creation slow grind under the wearing weight of sin is described. Perhaps people would ask then, 
Is it possible that his wife came from another race of people that also existed on earth and maybe God created them at some other point that is undocumented in the book of Genesis? To that I would say, can apples be oranges or can clowns be normal? Maybe in a world where things can be that cannot be, that's possible. But in our world, the truth is true and it never isn't. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20, we read the man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Or Acts 17, 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And I would say the most damning argument against that would be that it breaks the gospel. It would be an affront to the gospel. It would say, did God really say with hissing S's that Eve was the mother of all living, that all are in Adam and because of all being in Adam, they die? The alternative would be that there's some race of people that do not die and live forever. We would be keenly aware of those folks by now. In Adam, all die because of the original sin, because all are found in Adam, all are of the seed of Adam, and so original sin follows that seed. At the same time, Adam surveyed all of the animals and found none suitable. Genesis 20, or 2 and 20, Acts 17 and 26, and so God made the woman of his side. No other race of people existed, or they would have been presented before him, and of them, the, some woman surely would have been suitable for this Adam who'd never seen such creature. Also, Jesus is the last Adam. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 45, taking the place of the first Adam. All people, all elect, have a way to redemption, in Christ because he's the second Adam who undoes the curse in the first Adam in whom all die. Maybe a, a, another argument would say, well, isn't it against the law to intermarry? It's to which I would say, absolutely. And of which I am not talking about the People's Republic of Pennsylvania's law or the United States law or some other worldly government law. I'm talking about Moses talking about the law that came from Mount Sinai, the law that came from God, that that would come some 2,500 years later. We're going to see a lot happen in the book of Genesis from Adam and Eve through their many sons and daughters to Noah all the way to Babel in Genesis chapter 11 where people, groups, and cultures scatter. And the law comes later to a young man born and then adopted into Egypt, a country which is not thriving quite yet since there's only a few people on earth. So the argument of the law is, doesn't stand. It wasn't given to the people yet. So if there's no law, if there's no Leviticus, if there's no other people, who is his wife? It's his sister or a niece or some relative from a fresh genetic pool from two parents who were commanded to populate the earth. I actually find it more difficult to believe that all life came 
from some other process than two people creating and creating and creating and multiplying. I find it more difficult to think that a, a crystal landed in mud, struck by lightning, mutated in an amoeba that at some point crawled out of the water as a baby, and a really well-thriving baby that could care for itself as the whole of Earth with its ability to oxygenate and plants that take our breath and turn them to life-sustaining air, and the, all the systems of the body, all of this was evolving at the exact same rate. The food, the animals that we would need to be eating, the plants that we would need to be harvesting were all growing at the same rate to support life. And then cave people came and they were banging on stuff, spitting on their hands on, on walls, and you know, they would hit each other and kind of figure things out. And then they developed language, of course. There was a big leap forward. And then several years later, these people that were grunting and scratching their armpits and hitting one another, created a car. I know, we skipped a few iterations. But I find it vastly, vastly easier to understand that of two people, God created according to his plan all the earth and all the people groups of the earth. And all of those can be tracked back to people groups scattered at Babel. And for God's purposes and to his glory, he created all people, yes, from two. And there is an inescapable problem when you start with two that there will be relatives who are having children together. It's inescapable. I mean, once you get to three, you've got a problem and you can't get to four without family relations. Now remember, this is fresh creation. God created it very good. It's according to his plan. And then 2,500 years later, when God graciously and lovingly provides the law, he says, you shall not marry inside your family. What a great creator. What a great plan. It stands to logic and it stands to history. If, if someone is to look at me and, and say that I think it's ridiculous that all people came from two, I, I really have a hard time with what it is that you might believe. Because I, I just really struggle to reconcile cave people grunting and dragging their knuckles and making a wheel like some kind of Sunday morning comic character. You have to make so many assumptions to make that be true. Because in that scenario, there is no prime mover whatsoever. And in that scenario, things improve over time. All of our, the mutations that happen seem to work out for our benefit. And, and God makes this abundantly clear in the depths of the oceans with animals and creatures that exist. And, and you know, we find them all the time that just confound the imagination. And one of my favorite, if you've known me for a while, you already know this, is the angler fish. I think God did that to say, you're, you're not going to make up an evolutionary tale about this, guys. Because the re evolution almost requires that the, 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 the substance itself has some kind of a logic. Like, it's really dark here on the bottom of the ocean. And, and in order to be able to see, I will develop a light filament that floats in front of my body so that I can see the prey around me. And that's how that happened. One time the fish incidentally developed the ability to glow and then attached it to a long rod and floated it in front of itself and was really able to thrive because now it could find more fish. Glory to God that he created things like that. And the duck-billed platypus, which has no purpose whatsoever other than our enjoyment. He 
in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, because what Christ does is undo the curse that follows the seed of Adam. And so by God's plan, all life came from one man and his wife, Eve, the mother of all living, and the gospel then undoes what that initial corruption did. You ever think about that? The initial corruption was just a turning and doubting God. Jesus comes, and just like the first sin in, in the book of Genesis was a, a, a face-to-face confrontation where God was doubted, the enemy then faces with Christ and his temptation while he's fasted for a very long time, and the enemy offers him the same option that Adam and Eve partook of, but over and over and over again. And Christ responds with the word, trusting God's word, undoing the doubt of God's word, and so then undoes the curse. But more than that, continues to live a life where he walks over earth that groans under the weight of sin. He lives in all ways like us, tempted in every any way that you have ever been presented with temptation that has existed before Christ without ever sinning because he perfectly understood the glory of God. He was never tempted towards that in the ways that we are. So he lived in all ways tempted like us, but without sin. And so he completely undoes every element of the fall. And so then makes a way to salvation by leaving behind no penalty for death whatsoever. And God established this plan by which the sins of another could be placed onto the innocent, spotless lamb and be transferred. And he would accept that because by blood there could be remission or there could be forgiveness of sin. And so he satisfied that. He made clear that this was always the plan. That's what he meant with Genesis 3.15. That's what he meant as he said that a spotless lamb would come and by his stripes we would be healed. It all makes so much sense in context. What a graceful and loving God. And so with hissing S's, in comes the doubt of the enemy, suggesting that did God really say from two people came all of the earth? Yes. Well, isn't it ridiculous that Cain would have married his wife and there would have been all this intermarriage? No. No, it's not. In fact, it makes a lot more sense than your theory of tens of millions of years, monkeys began to grow upright hips, and then they became people. And so by God's plan, all life came from one man and his wife, enabling the very curse of sin to be crushed by the work of a perfect lamb, Jesus. And so God doesn't wink away sin. He's not violating his own nature by reconciling to someone who's unreconciled. He has dealt with it in eternity's past on Christ. And so then we become saved at the altar of his perfect son in the way that God has always redeemed and restored people by his grace through their faith. And our righteousness then to us is foreign righteousness. It's alien righteousness because it's Christ's righteousness. We did not earn it by no work. Are we saved? We are saved by the effective call of God, our response the same, 
and the work of Christ. And that's been the plan since the beginning of the book of Genesis. And that's what we'll see as we continue through. And in, in, in these last two verses of the fourth chapter, after so much has happened, the creation, and he made it all very good. The fall, immediately the skins of animals are placed on these two people. So there's, there's now death. There's a reconciliation and there's God making this way. Then soon after that, or how soon, who knows. But soon after that, two brothers, one kills the other from jealousy and then has to walk the land desiring not to have to carry the weight of the punishment that he can't bear. And so God, again, by his grace, enables him to to live in the land, but without retribution falling on him. Because remember, if you come from a big family, you get this. You can pick on your brothers and sisters. And in fact, if you're brothers, you know the level of picking is nothing short of absolute crime. Uh, What most brothers do among one another is probably illegal and torture, according to the Geneva Convention. But we never let that outside from our family, and we would we would never, I'm not going to say we would never hurt, because, my gosh, we would never kill our own family. And so now, he's going to walk the earth among a people who have definitely heard about what he's done. First murder ever. His own brother. And everyone on earth is related. Imagine the family picnic that year. Imagine Thanksgiving, Cain walks in with his mark that says, don't kill me. (laughs) Makes for awkward turkey. But God, by his grace, continues this plan and, and constantly allows us to see what is life like under the groan and the weight of sin. Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, as Roy read earlier. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son. And he called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Um, I remember one time looking at my mom, and I'm sure with that look, you know, you kind of know your kids, right? You know when that's coming, right? Like, if you're if you're a parent, you know this. If if you're aware of childlike behavior, you get this. It gets quiet in the house, and you have a child. You now have two decisions to make: one, enjoy it, and then deal with what's happening because you know it's something, or two. Go figure it out so you don't have to deal with it, but you don't get those moments of peace. It's always the decision a parent has to make. Nine times out of ten, I appreciate the silence and then deal with the problem later, which is why my house looks like it's uh, been invaded by some kind of a football team. But I remember giving my mom that look one time and asking her, why don't people go to the bathroom in movies? You ever notice that? You know, you've got these movies where weeks and days and months continue on. Nobody goes to the bathroom. And I remember my mom looking back at me like, 
what's wrong with you? And she said, who would care about that detail? Why would they put that in there? Right? Like, like all of a sudden, you know, Maverick is like, oh, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to steal. We're going to steal this Russian airplane. All right. You're going to get in the back. I want you to start up this, this, this archaic equipment, but give me a second real quick. I'm going to hit that tree. It would make for a strange movie. And so in a vastly different sense, but along the same line, the book of Genesis does not give us every single detail. And so we shouldn't read it with the kind of pressure and weight that's constantly looking for some missing detail, because guess what? You're going to find it. Right? By the time Seth is being born, his dad is 105. A few things have happened that haven't been recorded in Genesis 3 and 4 at this point, right? Because they don't matter. Because the scripture isn't like this, this record of everything that happened so that you can proof text it and so that you can say, you see, it's exactly right. The scriptures are God's revelation to us about himself so that we can know absolutely everything that we need for life and godliness, for reproof and correction, for training and righteousness. It leaves us void of nothing. And so everything here is exactly what we need. And what isn't here isn't what we need. It might be interesting, and you can certainly study it, but it's not what you need. What you need is here and nothing outside that. I have a buddy one time that, and I was just talking recently about this at my house, you know, like, if dog years are seven to one, right? So you a two-year-old dog, it's a 14-year-old kid. That's why they're annoying. But think about that. And, and you know, in your lifespan, so you, you go off to work for eight hours for a full day. You've basically been gone for like two and a half days. So by the time you get home, your dog is freaking out. And it's excited. It's jumping because they're like, you've been gone for like two days. And we see spans of time like that being passed over in the scriptures. And so we can't read this like it's a chronology. And, and we kind of dealt with that, right? In, in, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, people try to press into the book of Genesis and say, ha, ah, see, there was another creation. That's not what Genesis is doing. It's giving us a picture of a grand, otherworldly God who creates by the very power of his voice, Elohim, who then... We then see the recapitulation, the retelling of the creation with more details, with more emphasis on the creation of people. And we see he's Yahweh Elohim. He is, he is interacting with people. He cares. He's grandiose and he's personal. And we see more of that with the murder. The very ground cries out because it's received the blood of your brother. Imagine Christ. How connected is God to this? It's necessary, but horrific. And so there are many things that happen, but we have all kinds of interesting clues about the span of time here. Like I said, about this time, when Seth's line comes about and he brings about Enosh, we're, we're old. We're at the ripe age of 105 here. Um, and so I would suggest that you're recording a specific line that's being born. And there's probably lots of other children that are being born in this time. 
But the book of Genesis, the writer, is recording specific lines so that we would follow the specific story that they're working to tell, which is everything that we need to know for righteousness, reproof, training, correction, everything that we need to know. And so, yes, it's not recording every single detail. It's not keeping track of every bit of time, but it's not intended to. And so that doesn't make it in error. That makes it perfect for what it was to accomplish. Because the word does not return void. It goes out and it accomplishes its purpose in every heart and mind. And so ultimately, this line is going to point out to Abraham, Father Abraham, who had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And Steve's going to lead us in it in a little bit. You can track this lineage because of the way that God has preserved the word all the way through to Abraham. In fact, this line of Seth comes as Cain killed his worshipful brother. And now the mother of all living has named him Seth, meaning set in place of. Now, was he a replacement? Did she view this as, well, he's just as good as the brother? No. What she's pointing to is her faith in what God has said. In Genesis 3.15, it all goes back to the gospel. She knows that the promise of God in Genesis 3.15 was rock steady. You want to talk to a lady and a guy who now trusts God at his word perfectly? Talk to Adam and Eve who doubted him. Who saw the curse get ushered into the world. And now when God says something, I bet you they're rock steady on it. I bet you they're not questioning it. I bet you they approach it the way that we should approach the scriptures, which is excitedly to say, let me see how this gets resolved. And any time I see some kind of a difficulty or seeming difficulty, I get excited because I say, I can't wait to see how this is resolved. And Scripture always comes out on top. I hear people say that certainly it's full of errors. I've just never heard a good one. We're going to see in Genesis chapter 5, a 930-year-old Adam. I don't know about you, but I feel like your knees start to squeak at that point. You know, you, know, you, you wake up in the morning and you can probably hear that guy coming down the hall. Now remember, God made everything very good. There's very few recorded deaths at this point. In fact... By the time we see that Adam has died, I think the only other recorded death would be the martyr, Abel. The Genesis record to this point is designed to drive us to the perfect fulfillment of the gospel, or some would call it the proto-gospel, the pre-gospel of Genesis 3.15. And Eve trusted God for that, that through Seth's line, would drive that promise. And so God is lovingly allowing us to see the genealogy of this line. 
And they give us then, the scriptures give us the age of every patriarch as we go down through the line, when they had their firstborn. How the line would continue and the span of their life. That's why those genealogies are there, so that we could do the work of tracking the important lines that God said he was going to preserve. And this is the, one of the many, many amazing things that we see about God. He's not a soothsayer. He's not like Miss Cleo, who you can call now for your free reading. He doesn't guess the future. He foretells the future. And when I say foretell, I don't mean looks like Johnny Carson with some kind of a weird hat to tell you what's hermetically sealed under the front doorstep in a mayonnaise jar. But says and causes things to occur. Says this is how it's going to happen. And I am vastly satisfied by a God who can foretell the future, who can say what will happen, who can use people's free will and personalities to accomplish his end. That's what he does with the writers of Scripture. He doesn't like put them in some kind of a trance and their arms move with a pen and then they wake up and they say, oh my gosh, I wrote this really cool thing. He uses their personalities. He gives them the experiences that they're going to have and he preserves the faithfulness of his word as the spirit breathes out over that process. I don't want to make that sound easy. It's, it's supernatural. It's incredible. It's amazing. But the result of it is what we have in these 66 books of scripture that give us everything that we need for life and for proof and training in righteousness and for godliness. And so, so often when I hear some kind of a half-cocked idea coming, it always sounds the same. It starts like this. Well, to me, great. Can't wait to see where this is going to go. Because, you know, that and a little bit of chicken grease is just going to cause me to go like this. Because, you know, frankly, I don't care what you think. Because if you had had a couple of other different experiences, you would think of something totally different, maybe. And now where are we? And what do we do when two people say, well, I think, and they're completely opposite of one another? Can there be no right? Can clowns be weird and normal at the same time? No. They're just weird, and there's no other answer. And so goes truth. There's only truth. There is not, well, there's my way and there's your way. There's only God's way. We don't pick a way, and it becomes true. And we wouldn't do that anywhere else in life. Why do we try to do that about the truth of God where he's already spoken very plainly, using language for us? The scripture is a, is a great accommodation. The whole point of scripture is for us to understand it. The point of Scripture is not to be mystical and ununderstandable. Why would God do that? Why would God say, let me write something cryptic that some of them are going to be able to figure out because they're particularly smart, or they join a club where they can be like the ninth order of the star, and they get a sweet hat and some robes. And those people, I'm going to let them know the truth and not go to hell eternally. It's not God. That's not the Scriptures. And you will not come to that conclusion if you read them. They're written in the way that people speak. They're written in human languages. They're written through human authors that have very human experiences. You will not read the scriptures and say, well, I've never seen people be like that before. In fact, what you'll see in the scriptures is a very accurate portrayal of people. You'll see people who are after their own self-interests constantly. And they're the ones that the story is written through. They're the ones that are supposedly the heroes of the Bible. You'll see God use fallen people. In fact, the scriptures themselves say that God chose the foolish things of the world 
in order to confound the wise so that God would look, or people would look upon those that God has chosen and say, what? Why? It's important to remember what Genesis is, what the book of Genesis is. It is for us to understand certainly the origins of the world and the creation and all the things in it. It certainly does that for us. Um, but it doesn't argue for it. In fact, it just, it just presumes it. If you look at Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said that it was good. It doesn't start off and say, in the beginning, there was a God. And this God was a holy creature who stands outside of time. But by creating the planets and the stars and their consistent motion among one another, time could be measured. And that God had existed forever. It doesn't describe, it doesn't argue for God. It just says, in the beginning, God. And then he created. And then he said, it was good. It gives us the information we need. It doesn't give us the information necessarily to, to start uh, disagreeing with it. In fact, it's disinterested if you disagree with it, as most right people and things can be. John, I don't believe in gravity. Good luck. The world is going to get really, really weird for you. It gives us what we need to know, not a detailed record of all events. So, when the first recorded births are Cain and Abel, followed by Seth, born when Adam was 130 years old, I submit to you that this is not a complete record of all people that were born on earth. Why do you say that? Because I know a thing or two about people and couples, and they tend to produce more than three each 100 years. Some people have one and then have another right away. One's like nine to ten months old and the other's a newborn. So they hate sleep. Not to mention these are people who have been commanded to multiply and fill the earth. And so one every 130 is pretty low. It's also why, as we said earlier, I believe Cain was afraid on the earth because the whole family knew he killed his brother. And that was more than another guy. I hope that our study of the book of Genesis does nothing but strengthen or initially create your faith and reverence for God and that his word encourages us to test all things. Not to shrug it off. Not to say, well, you know, I just believe because I believe. I mean, okay, at the end of the day, that's entirely true. But the scriptures provide us so much to plow that before we get to, I just believe because I believe, there's a lot of evidence on the table. 
66 books, everything we know for life, doctrine, reproof, training in righteousness, test everything and hold fast to what is good. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, we read that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. We have a great and merciful God who has given us his word and has given us his son. And so the purpose of our life should be to live in order to cherish those things to God's glory, because this is God's perfect way. Let's pray. God, we do thank you so much that you've given us your word that we're not left to grope around in the dark and find truth because we would mess that up. And God, we see that in the world all around us today as people invent truth and opposing truths and disagreeing truths and truth that can't, in fact, allow culture to continue or that end it violently. God, we thank you that you give us your word so that we can know truth and we can know order and in knowing and learning and seeing those things, God, that we can come to See how wonderful and merciful and powerful and worthy of awe that you are. And so, God, I pray for us as we study the book of Genesis, as we study to see the origins of things, as we study to understand what you need for us to know for life and doctrine, for reproof and for training and righteousness, God, that we would be encouraged by your word and drawn to faith, perhaps saving faith, perhaps sustaining faith for us. But God, drawn to faith as we look to your word in the book of Genesis. God, I pray for us that we would now go from this place and be a witness to a dying world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.